Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. So take your Bibles, open them to the book of 2 Kings. We're in chapter 1. When we began our study back in 1 Kings, the, the kingdom was under the rule of King Solomon, David's son. And it was the strongest under Solomon as the transition from David went to his son. Yet by the time we finished 1 Kings, the kingdom of God is divided into Judah and Israel. And now not being ruled by one king that's godly, it's being ruled by two evil and wicked kings. And division always does its work of destruction. Jesus, he taught us, and you can go backwards from his teachings, that a house divided will not stand. And so we know that division will always do its thorough work and bring destruction into anybody or any organization, any relationships where division exists. Division doesn't end in love. Division doesn't end in unity, progress, and growth unless it's repented from. Like, like if we repent from the division and we seek to meet people in the middle at the cross, then it does end in love and it doesn't end in reconciliation. But division left unchecked is going to end disastrously. And that's good to be reminded as we go through the book of Kings and Chronicles. When we go through and finish Kings, Second Kings, and get into Chronicles, it's all about division and the difficulty of division. So as the body of Christ, we have to make that commitment, don't we, to unity, to find the places where we can meet in the middle and not tear a brother down, not talk about a sister behind her back, not, not accentuate all the things that divide us, but to find the things that unite us. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk a worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The idea of endeavoring is to work hard at it, to invest in that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 in the New Living says, always keep yourselves united in the Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. And so as a church family, we need to guard our unity in the Spirit. In all the disagreements that we might have, all the secondary things that might divide us. You know, think about things that, that divide churches. Uh, what songs are sung, how fast the music should be, Calvinism, Arminianism, on and on. What Bible version do you use? And, you know, what kind of, it, all of that, we need to master in what we agree on, give room and love for disagreements, and move forward and walk together in unity. I was talking to one of the brothers even last night about this very topic. And th this is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. Like, this is what we get. He was sharing me, this is what we get. This is the time in which we were born. This is the time we were living. This is when God wants us. And this is what we get. We weren't born in the first century. And, and I often thought about that. Would I have made it in the first century? I don't know. I don't think so. God didn't have me born in the first century. He had me born now. This is where he wants me to serve. This is the community he wants me to serve in, and this is the body of Christ. These are our brothers and sisters. 
And, you know, sometimes disagreements make it such where we're, we're unable. Like, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? And, and there's just like Paul and Barnabas, there's times where you just have to move on and just keep doing the work of the Lord. But man, may the Lord protect us from division, especially within the body, this little body of Christ, this little part of the body. Now, in our study through the part, this part of Israel's history, it's good to be reminded of exactly what we're looking at at this time. Now, this is the, known as the years of the divided kingdom. And in the northern part of Israel, the northern part was known as Israel and was made up of 10 tribes. And in that time, we're going to see 19 kings of the, northern, of the northern tribes, the northern division, and none of them are good kings. The southern part was made up of two tribes, was known as Judah. And out of them, there were 20 kings and there were eight good kings. And we're looking at them. Now, we know we've studied, the last king that we were studying was, was Jezebel and Ahab. You know, King, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And so, you know, the, the reality, that, that's the epitome of a bad king. I mean, he was rotten, and we'll see that his kids are too. And they just, they just left the simplicity of following after God. And it's so easy for us to, as we, before we sit in judgment on anyone, before we go, you know, I'll never be like Ahab. I hope we never are like Ahab, but the potential is always there. The potential with a few decisions, we can become as rotten as the Ahab or Jezebel. Now, the end of the history of Israel will be the scattering by Assyria in 726 BC. And the end of Judah will be the Babylonian captivity that's mentioned in Ezra and Nehemiah. And so it just doesn't end well. God brings judgment upon the divided kingdom. And there's just no... There, there, yet. As we're thinking of the, the, the northern tribe of Israel, or even in its totality, there is good news that we need to be reminded of, and that is God spoke of a future when Israel would not be divided anymore. And you can jot it down in Ezekiel chapter 37. There was a time where Israel would not be divided any longer. And on May 14, 1948, Israel was brought back into their land of which they're occupying to this day. And while the, the nation of Israel is primarily secular and blindness, the Bible says, in part has come to them, there is a movement toward seeing Ezekiel 37 completely fulfilled and the goodness of God. And so God is healing the divide and there's coming a day. In Romans, 8, or Romans 9, 10, and 11, the seven-year great tribulation period will be God's turning his attention toward the nation of Israel and exciting times that will be. So with that all in mind, let's go into 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Elijah departed. 
Ahaziah, Ahab's son, his reign back, uh, happened back in 1 Kings 22, verse 51. That's where it started. He's not a good king. He follows in his dad's footsteps. And instead of going out to battle as Moab is now coming against them, he stays home to a place where he thinks is safe. And while he was safe in a sense from the war that was going on, he wasn't even safe in his own home because he falls through this lattice, uh, probably in the upper room, maybe he was up on his rooftop and there was a little patio there and he falls and he's severely injured. The injury is so, so severe that he is wondering what's going to be the end. And instead of calling out to the one true God, he calls out to Beelzebub, the, the god of Ekron, this false god. Now, why did he do this? Why did he call out to a false god? Very simply, his mom and dad was named Jezebel and Ahab, and this is how they raised him. This is how they, this is what he, they did. They, he's following in their footsteps. And we've looked at that in depth previously, at least we, we commented on it, how important it is as parents that we make the right decisions. If you think your compromise won't affect your kids, it will affect your kids. It does affect our kids. It's never too late to get back right on track while you're still alive and you have, still have a voice in your kids' lives. This is the king of Israel, God's representative and ruler, and immediately he calls out to the false gods. And it's important for us to realize that there is only one true and living God, only one creator, one Lord and majesty of the universe. He is the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah. And even though you might live in a country that has turned their back on God, or you might be listening to me and you're involved in a so-called group of people that call themselves a church, but they've turned their back on the one true God, that does not change that there's one true God. That does not change that that one true God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins, to forgive you and remove the shame and guilt from your life. That there's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. No other name. No other way. One true God. This God possesses supreme knowledge. We call that omniscience. He possesses supreme power. We call that omnipotence. He is everywhere at one time. We call that omnipresent, and because he is the Lord God of the universe, he's able to help us walk day by day throughout life. If there's any lesson we learn in these first few verses, it's simply this. When you're in trouble, call upon the name of the Lord. His name is a strong tower, the Bible says. The righteous run into it and are safe. Calling out to false gods, as you see, is not going to help you. Calling out to Little deities that you were taught religiously is not going to help you. Praying to someone to pray to God for you is not going to help you. Running to man is not going to help you. Praying to a little statue or offering food to a little statue is not going to help you. Calling out and relying upon false gods simply will not help. Hold your place here. Would you turn over to Psalm 115 with me? Psalm number 115. Notice with me in verse 1. You know, false gods are made and created by people. They have no life in them. They have no ability in them. A lot of times, false gods are created in the imagination of the person and may never translate to a little idol. They may never translate to a little statue. It's just that you're calling out to a God that you've made up in your own mind. 
And, and that is, the Bible teaches that in Romans, that you want to be careful not to create God in your own image. Notice in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy and because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, where now is their God? But our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they can't handle. Feet they have, but they can't walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them, notice, are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. That's a pretty powerful truth, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. So Israel, verse 9, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ahaziah is doing that very thing. But I am encouraged by God's response to this because behind the scenes, God is enlisting Elijah to send a message to him. It's not a good message. It's too late for Ahaziah. But God's behind the scenes. He gets Elijah involved. And, and while I don't like the answer, I'm sure Ahaziah doesn't like the answer. I mean, it's the, it's the answer from the Lord. It does encourage me and remind me, even as I was going through this, my notes again, I was just so encouraged that the things that are going on in my life right now, the things that are personally going on in Ed Taylor's life, God is at work behind the scenes. I don't know how, and I don't know what, and there are times when I don't think he's working behind the scenes, and I wonder what's happened. I'm confident that God's at work behind the scenes. This is yet another example that there are things in the unseen spiritual realm that we don't know anything about. And of course, I hope it's not like this. I mean, I want to walk with the Lord. I don't want to send Elijah to me and go, nope, you're dead. I don't want that. Although, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's not a bad deal. But what's true for me is true for you. God is at work behind the scenes. Don't quite know what the answer is going to be. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what messenger he might be sending. Or I don't know. But there's Elijah here. And Elijah is used by God. And he was told to go meet the messengers uh, and give them the direction. And, you know, in verse 4, you know, you're going to die. That was the answer. Verse 5. Now, when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? And so they said, well, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, it is, because there is, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And he said to them, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? And in verse 8, it's pretty funny. You've got to appreciate the humor uh, in the Bible. But verse 8, they answered him, he was a hairy man. And he wore a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Now, some translations say that he was wearing uh, hairy clothing. So this, you know, in the New King James, maybe he was hairy or he was wearing hairy clothing. It reminds me immediately of a New Testament guy that was known as a kind of a wild guy. What's his name? 
John the Baptist. So there are these, there, there are these characteristics about us that, um, that will, like, share, when, you're, when they're shared, people know exactly who it is. And so who is this guy? Yeah, well, some hairy guy, man, with a belt, you know, and it's like, it's Elijah. It's Elijah, which would then what? Confirm to him that the message was true. It's Elijah. Elijah, not necessarily the most popular prophet. Uh, Ahab especially didn't like him. Ahab called him his enemy on more than one occasion. But guess who knows about Elijah? Ahab's son. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, parents, that's so important. Another aspect of those of you that have influence on children, no matter what their age are, or grandchildren, if you are having a problem with another person, if you are having a difficulty within your church family, if you are upset with your pastor or your spiritual overseer and leader, and you decide to talk negatively about them in front of your kids, and that just becomes the table conversation at dinner, I can't believe what's so-and-so, and I hate our church, or I can't believe what's going on at work, and I hate my boss, and that just is the conversation of your home, then you are stealing from your children the opportunity to love the people that you don't like right now. You are actually training your people to hate people just like you do. You're actually training your children. It doesn't matter how old they are. And, and I'm certain, as I share this, that there have some, been some among us that have failed in this area. And it's simply not a wise thing to do. What, what Ahaziah knows about Elijah, he got from his parents. And what we know of his parents' attitude toward Elijah was that they didn't like him. That, I mean, seriously, uh, Ahab called him an enemy and Jezebel wanted to kill him. I would say that's a pretty bad opinion of Elijah. And they would not, so, so it reminds me that the conversation that I have, and it's not just around our kids, although our kids are the ones who we spend the most time with, whoever's in our house, maybe a roommate, you know, perhaps it's a, you're in a, a home, especially a lot of young adults, you know, you're, you're in a home with roommates and so all you do is just talk about all the bad things and all the bad people and all, and now you're soiling the hearts and the minds of the people that are in your house, the people you share a room with, the people you rent a room from. You know, and the, the Bible says not to let any corrupt communication proceed out of our mouths. Jesus said that we're going to be judged, which is a pretty heavy thing. I mean, this, this applies to all of us. There's not anyone that's innocent that we're going to be judged for every idle word that comes out of our mouths. I mean, that's a... And so we want to be careful to, to be... You know, if you really have a real issue, you, the person, instead of talking about them in front of your kids, talk about them to the Lord. Take them to God in prayer and begin to pray for them. Begin to pray about your attitude toward it. Begin to pray about the difficulty. Begin to pray about resolution and, and just begin. It's, I have found it in my life. I have found it in my life that when I'm praying for someone, it's very hard to stay mad at them when I'm praying for them. Because God doesn't allow, you know, you know we, we want to pray kind of like David does sometimes. Oh, break their teeth. Break their teeth. And what does God do in the new covenant? Remember the cross? Jesus was already broken for them. 
Well, Lord, just take them out. Remove them from my life. Well, you know what? Sin and shame has already been removed at the cross. And it's hard to pray that way. I mean, you might get one out and then the Holy Spirit will go, really? How many teeth do you have? (laughs) And so Ahaziah, what he knows of Elijah, there is some sense of it where he knew who Elijah was. Uh, He knew by what he said and by what he looked. Uh, But there's... There's no indication that there's no indication that there was any positive thing said about him in his home. Now notice his response in verse 9. Then the king sent to him, sent to Elijah, a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill, and he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. And so Elijah answered, and said to the captain of 50, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Just straight up. He sent another. Now, you know, so this happened. Ahaziah sends another group of 51. He sent him another captain of 50. And he answered, verse 11, said to a man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. And Elijah answered, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. This is an interesting bedtime story for your kids. (laughs) These are the ones they trip out on. This happened. We know it happened because we see it repeated in the New Testament, and I'll show you in a moment. We see this scenario repeated in the New Testament, but let's, let's look at this just for a moment. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, why don't you circle in verse 9 at the end, circle the phrase, come down. And then also, if you want to make a note in your Bible, in verse 11, come down quickly. And somewhere in there, just make a notation. These are often the words of the enemy to get you away from what God's called you to do. Come down. There's familiar words. Come down. You're, you know, if you are a man of God, come down. The king wants you right now. The king wants you right now. And he sent 51 men to go do this. He didn't send a, the, the, so this isn't a positive, this isn't a positive thing. You don't send 51 men to, to go get one man and come down. The king wants to talk to you and kind of reason with you and find out if it's really true. And he wants to see how hairy you are these days. And it's not like that. He's sending just, just as we will see later where Elisha has a whole army sent to him with his, with his servant. It wasn't for a positive thing. And this is the way it is. This is the way it is that people, situations, even perhaps the devil himself, the demonic realm, seeking to bring us down away from fellowship, away from the highlands into the lowlands. Let me just show you real quick. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 6 because we see this in the life of Nehemiah and it happened with another person. Another person. Again, the enemies of God, the enemies of God's work are calling Nehemiah away from what he's supposed to be doing. So pick up with me in Nehemiah chapter 6. And I, I want to show you where, I want to show you real quick here um, where that is. Nehemiah got moved in my Bible, so I put it back in its right place. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab. Now if we were writing this, we were studying Nehemiah together, 
and this was a movie, you would have to say, like, so I want you to do it right now so everybody can hear you. This is like a movie. It's been real cool. We've got the hairy guy, Elisha. Now we're here. Nehemiah's doing a great work. And when these guys' names show up, you've got to boo them, just like you would in the movies, all right? So let me just read them and see how you respond to them. Now, when it happened when Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, boo, exactly. Every time you hear their names, you've got to, because they're the enemies of God. Now, that was kind of a funny, silly thing to do, wasn't it? But think about how many enemies you've allowed in your life and you're unwilling to take a stand against them. And I know it's silly. Boo, you know, this would be, this is where, in the movie where the music would change, the scene would get dark, it, it would show some kind of sinister look and the angle of the camera would be, man, it would be obvious these guys are evil and they're up to no good. Just consider that in your life. Is there anything evil and up to no good in your life? Have you invited or have you invited some kind of fellowship or a yoking together with an unbeliever or with a situation that you just know you should be booing and removing from your life, not just accepting it as if it's just normal. It's what people do. It's what the world does. It's no big deal that there's no distinction between believer and unbeliever alike. Well, there's a distinction here. Nehemiah is writing and he says, these guys heard and the rest of our, how do we know they're enemies? Because the Bible says the rest of our enemies. Nehemiah was no dummy. He was a wise, strong leader. And they had heard that I rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it. Though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates. And that's some ballad and Geshem sent to me saying, you guys didn't boo him, see? You're already accepting him. No, never mind, never mind, it's over. Don't worry about it. He said, listen to what they say. Doesn't that sound like what we just read in Kings? Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plains of Ono. And notice, he got the gift of discernment, this discerning thing, but they thought to do me harm. Come on down. Come on down. Come to the plains of Ono. And he sent messengers, verse 3, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message. What does your Bible say? four times, and I answered them the same way. The progress of God was so obvious. The walls are rebuilt, everything's happened. It was so obvious. It was obvious to everyone, including, listen, the progress of God in your life is so obvious. Your family sees it, your kids see it, people see it, and so do the enemies of God. Your progress is obvious. There are changes going on in your life. The Holy Spirit is changing you from the inside out. You're talking different, doing different, thinking different, acting different. Everything about you is making progress in the things. You look the same, but then even then, there's a brightness in your countenance. Same face, different way it looks. And, And it's noticeable to the people that love you, and it's noticeable to the people that either, you you could say, hate you or hate God. Doesn't matter. Now that you're associated with God, they hate you. And that was one of those things, you know, when you got, you're a new believer, you're like, nobody told me people would hate me. I thought we were a kingdom of love, man. But look what they did to your Savior. They killed Jesus for his love and his goodness. And it's evident. Not everybody's happy with your progress. Not everybody's happy with the changes in your life. And so there will be those temptations as they come down to the plains of Ono. Come on down. 
And what they're really saying is, we want to hurt you and get you alone and take you out because we don't want the progress of, of the rebuilding of life, the rebuilding of the walls, the rebuilding of your home, the rebuilding of your family, the rebuilding of... No, come on down. Come on down. Let's have a discussion in the plane. Come on down where you'll be vulnerable, where you'll be open, where you have no protection. Come on down. And Nehemiah could see it for what it was. He says, man, they, they want to hurt me. I'm not going down. And the answer to, him, the answer to them was No. I'm not going down to them. Oh, no, I'm not going down with you. No way. And you would think that would be enough. You just say no. That's one of the best words that you can use in your vocabulary to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It's say no. But don't miss this, that after Nehemiah said no, they kept coming after him. Kept coming after Four times it's mentioned here. You know, one time would kind of be annoying. Two times would be kind of be, but four times like I said no. It's like a temptation to get into the flesh, just to say no. And that's how the enemy is. He doesn't play by the rules. He has no rules. The enemy's asking Nehemiah to negotiate, to work with him, to compromise. And he does the right thing. Nehemiah says no, and he shuts it down. And he shuts it down again. And he shuts it down again. The life, much of our lives will be, will be characterized by shutting down the temptations of the enemy over and over and over again. So, you know, we're not going to be like Elijah and call fire down from heaven, you know, and just wipe these guys out. But that was his way of saying no. You know, he, he, he wipes them out a couple of times. He wipes out 102 people. If I am a prophet of God, then let fire come down. Boom! Wipes them out. Wipes them out. Not quite Nehemiah, but it worked. You know, he took care of them. Now, I mentioned that it's also something that we see in the New Testament. Some of you are very familiar with this. Some of you are not. So let me show you. Turn over to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Lest you think that this is a not a true story, notice with me in Luke's gospel, chapter 9. We had a couple guys that were known as the sons of thunder. Their names were James and John. James and John. They were Bible students. And what story of the Bible, what true story of the Bible did they, or were they familiar with? Well, let's notice in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So they met with a group of people that did not receive Jesus. That's, that's all they did. They didn't accept him, didn't receive him. Now when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just as Elijah did. Can you imagine how long they waited for this moment? How long? You know, James and John was a rough, they were rough brothers, man. They, you know, I, I picture James and John sort of like all the rest of the disciples, they had robes, but James and John had leather jackets, you know, and they were rough. And they were just, man, do you, you know what? They will not do that to you. And we know about Elijah, and we've always wanted to see that. So do you want us to call down just like Elijah? And notice his answer. He turned and rebuked them. He said, do you not know what manner of spirit, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. 
and they went to another village. As we tie this up, when you pray for God to break someone's teeth, as David did, and you kind of feel like David, and you want to kind of pray like David, Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to break teeth, he says, in a very real way. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. That's the work of the Lord. He turns to them and just says, it's not about destruction, guys. It's about salvation. It's about rescuing. And that's a measurement we can use in our own lives. Do our thoughts save a person or destroy them? Do do our words save a person or destroy them? Do our actions save a person or destroy them? Because as we understand the the lives of James and John, do you know they do change? They're not sons of thunder anymore. As a matter of fact, John gets a brand new, he gets a brand new nickname. He's known as the apostle of love. Now, of course, he always referred to him as the one that Jesus loved. But as he was a pastor serving and going from community to community to share the gospel, especially in his older age, in his 90s, he became the apostle of love. So is it, is it possible to be, you know, just to get it wrong and to, to think that, that, you know, I want to destroy them and go through all those emotions and then become a person of love? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And John, the son of thunder, becomes the apostle of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That God can take a harsh and insensitive person and give you tenderness and compassion. Well, back in 2 Kings now, the answer from Nehemiah was no. The answer from Elijah was no. It was different in how it was addressed, but they both answered no. Just like you and I, we need to say no to the temptations of the, of the enemy, to the temptations of our flesh that are always with us. Pick up in verse 13, 2 Kings 1. Back there with you. The Bible says, and again he sent a third captain of 50 with or a good another a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. Okay, what's going to happen here? The third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, "Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants be yours, uh, be precious in your sight." Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties and their fifties, but let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron, it is, because, is it because there's no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up but you shall surely die. I like that. The, the message from God to Elijah didn't change. He stayed true to the message. And I think in the days in which we live, I think in the difficulties of the world, the, this entertainment-saturated, narcissistic, look-at-me, short attention span type of culture that we're in, the church of Jesus Christ cannot veer from the message of the gospel. We have to stay true to the word. 
Even though we might be tempted to leave it, we might be tempted to water it down, we might be tempted to soften it up, we must stay true to the word of God. The word of God is eternal. It is settled in heaven. It is not changing. The methods by which we share it, how we deliver it, that's all gonna change. You know, we, 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 we have to be careful to make sure we're, we're speaking to the culture, that, that we're taking the word of God and we're contextualizing it within the culture and being able, like, like when, I use, when I use illustrations about uh, telephones with cords attached to them, everyone under 40 years old, 30 years old, don't even know what I'm talking about. They've never seen a, a telephone with a cord attached to it. They don't even know what I'm talking about. When I tell them, go look it up in the card catalog in the library. What? Is that like Google men, you know? And, like, like, and then there's even stuff that I can't keep up with. All these little hidden chat things and all these little encrypted things where they're sexting one another and I can't even keep up with it all. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter how the culture changed, the word of God speaks to every culture the same way. It's powerful and will change a life if you'll submit yourself to him. It doesn't matter what new tool the enemy invented. It doesn't matter what you're doing to sin against God and get into the base, depraved things of, like the message doesn't change. But I'll tell you what, if we don't change how we deliver it, we're gonna lose generation after generation after generation. That's why when we make a change here at, at Calvary, we make a change that says, well, you know, I don't know, why, why, are, you do, why are you doing that? We've always done it this way. It's a check in your spirit, like, well, why are we doing it always this way? There's a whole new generation. Is the church just for you? I thought you were already saved. So you should be praying for people that aren't saved that we might be able to attract them and draw them and like, you're already saved. So be happy about that and get in the ball game to see other people saved. But churches, they fall apart. Churches fall apart where, where, where people get so set in their ways and we can't change it. This has always worked for us. Well, praise God, it's always worked for you. But man, we're in a different world. This is not, you know, like, like in our own movement, in our own movement, it's very easy to go, well, you know, back when, when, when there were hippies, you know, how we were reaching the hippies. And I remember when we started using cassette tapes, you know, if we still use cassette tapes, we'd reach nobody. Except there's somebody listening going, I still have a cassette player. I'm not, we're not talking about you, all right? So just, I have one too, and I don't use it. I haven't used it for years, but I, like, you know, remember the good old days. Remember the good old days when we were just there, and, and, the, and we were reaching all the hippies. Man, the hippies grew up, man. They got married and have kids, and they're not hippies anymore. If they still are, they're up in Boulder, and we're not, you know, that's, that's where they are, man. Like, we, we, like in our movement, like we have to understand the hippies of today are different, but they're still the same. Like, you know, people checking out of society, getting drunk, getting high, like, you know, the opiate epidemic. You know, wh why is that such a big deal now? Why is opiate such a big deal now? Because marijuana is legalized. Mark my words. You open up the gateway for drugs and you make it a government-sponsored thing? You say, come on, I don't care what the experts say, it's all right, we can make money off this. You know, these temporary politicians that are in office and then get their money and leave, they, man, hey, it's a open up a gateway, do you think it's gonna stop there? It can't stop there because sin is never satisfied. And anyone that's ever been addicted to drugs or alcohol or both, you know because it wrecked you. you. Don't tell me for a second that all you did was smoke one joint a week your whole life. That's not what happened. One became two, 
two became five, five became 10, you started running out of money and somebody offered you something that could do a little bit more, a little bit cheaper, and you jumped up and you jumped up and you jumped up and then you find out, you know, opiates are much harder to get. You find out, man, I gotta get this prescription, but then the doctor and then there's a paper trail. Guess what? You can get opiates on the streets of Aurora in the form of heroin. And then when they cut that with acid or they cut that with other stuff, people die and overdose. Listen, we have got to change the delivery method of the gospel in order to reach that. We have to speak the language of the people. Because too many, of, too many pastors, if we're not careful, we'll be speaking over people's heads. We'll be saying stuff they have no idea what you're talking about. They, what do you mean by that? And, and so we've got to adapt ourselves to the audience. The message never changes. And I see that in Elijah. The message didn't change but he's not calling fire down from heaven anymore. That changed. For, for the king, all he had to do was tell it to him. And, and so I, I know as a church family, I'm just speaking to you because you might see changes here. We, we, you know, we might have a light here or we might have fog here or we might have some crazy band here. Or I thought personally myself, Last night, one of the things that just so blessed me at the harvest, I walk in here, you know, we, we started using the sanctuary here and all the stuff was in here and I walk in and it's popping in here. The kids are happy. Parents, you know, you know some of them were. Some of them were sitting down. They're all tired and, and uh, some of them were watching their kids because it was over here, getting their kids whacked out and that was good. And said, do it again, son. Do it again. You know, that was good. That was good. So, so but, but one of the things is it was hopping like musically in here. Well, you know, it's not, that's not my playlist. I'll tell you that. It wasn't my playlist. But man, it, the kids, it was, it was and, and, and then I finally walked to the back and, and we had a DJ back there. Like whoever's idea that was, was stellar. That would have never been my idea. If we're sitting around a table, hey Ed, what's your idea? I don't know, like I, you know, let's play, uh, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't have never come up with that, just put it that way. I would have never come up with that. And, and somebody came up with that idea on our team and it resonated with the kids. This place was packed all night. And it resonated. And some of you walked in and go, I don't know, I don't like this music. Well, guess what? And then it wasn't for you. <laughs> because this place was filled with neighborhood kids. It was filled with, one of the observations that was made by one of the brothers, because he's sensitive to this, was lots of single moms with their kids here. And I'm like, really? Once he told me, I started paying attention to it. I'm like, yeah. And so as a, as a church, if God's going to take us into the next generation, he's going to take us forward. If you're already saved, just put on your seatbelt and let's go. And be open to what the Lord wants to do. Be open to let these young people make decisions. Be open to some new thing. You all, oh, we've never done it before. A good observation. We're doing it now. And it's pretty cool. And, you know, well, you know, I didn't really like that. I'm going to go find a church. Okay, so let me just speak to that because we're almost out of time. We actually are. So let me just speak to that. If you believe that another church will bless you and encourage you and make you more fruitful for the kingdom, go. That's the best for you. It's the best for us. It's the best for the kingdom. It really is. No hard feelings. No, I won't judge you. Uh, if you think that you'll be more fruitful and you'll thrive better, and you'll relate to the Bible study more, and you'll just go out and obey Jesus more, and you'll go out and reach your community more, and another church will serve you. What are you doing here? Go. Run with the vision. The days are short. The coming of the Lord is at hand. 
and here we are arguing and upset and beat up. Oh, you know, we did all these big changes and all the, look, 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 look. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about big changes you need to make in your life. That has nothing to do with the church at all. It's like what God's doing in your life. You see, with Elijah, the message didn't change. But what did change is the, pe- the third group of people that came, came humble. And they, God spared their life. Humility is met with graciousness by God. Pride is met by resistance. And so obviously, from the context uh, of our church, God's brought you here for a reason. You didn't just hear something on the radio and, think, and say, I think I'll go there. God's moving in your life. Or you didn't just walk by and say, I think I'll go into that, that big box over there because there's always cars there. It's because God's moving in your life. Like God has you in a church family on purpose. But listen, if it's just going to be always constantly um, hard and difficult, that's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to bear fruit, to, to enjoy like enjoy Bible study, enjoy the music, enjoy the changes and go, man, this is crazy. This, all these new people. Yes, churches should always be filled with new people. Always. And young people. And, and may the Lord use us. And things that, you know, they're just not from our generation because we're getting older. That's just the way it is. And may the Lord keep pouring out. You know, and that's why I think God's put a burden on my heart, too, for parents. Parents are the number one disciplers. It's not the church. It's your house. You get way more time with your kids than we do. It's your house. And if your house is set apart for the Lord, then God's going to take care of your kids. And if it's not, then it needs to be. It needs to be, because the kids have so much against them already. Let them come home to a house that's a refuge. Let them come home to a house dedicated to God. Let them come to a house that's holy and set apart. Let them come to a house where, like Joshua, you say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I don't care if my neighbor doesn't serve the Lord. I don't care if my mom doesn't serve the Lord. I don't care if my grandmother doesn't serve the Lord. As I don't care about my co- If all, any of them choose not to serve the Lord, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, no matter what it costs, no matter what the price. We're going to serve the Lord. And that's what's going to change a generation. So I just like that. I, I like that Elijah's message didn't change. And, and you know, I, I don't know how God will use me. I don't know how I'll change. I don't know what that looks like. I don't have, I'm just open to the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm open to the Holy Spirit. I'm open to what God wants to do. I'm open to taking uh, the church in the next generation, to raising up men, church planning, just all of that. Like we, we if... If we just sit on and go, sit on our hands like, oh, we've arrived and that's just the way it is, then we're just going to be like that church that has a name that they're alive and they're dead inside. And who wants to be a part of that? I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God's doing in the world today. And it's going to be messy, you know. When you're dealing with people's sins, it's going to be messy. It's always going to be mess and difficulty and hardship. And you go, man, what's going on here? And why did that happen? And did you smell that guy? He smelled like he was, he was high or he smelled like he was smoking pot. Yeah, of course. Of course they are. And? Of course. Like we should be smelling pot around. I mean, don't smoke it in the building, but we should be smoking. I mean, we shouldn't be smoking at all. <laughs> we should. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this time tonight. And... Um, you know, it's time to go, and it's time to uh, be open. I thank you to show us with Elijah. His message didn't change. 
even though he didn't call fire down from heaven anymore. And so I, I don't know what, God, you're going to do in our, our church or our movement, but I do know what you're doing, and that is we've got to stay true to the word and, and vary our delivery. I mean, we've got to. We've got to be open to a, reaching a new generation. Forgive us for being so rigid and inflexible. It's not your heart for us. You want us to be flexible and open and work with the, with the, with the leading of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And, and maybe I touched a nerve. Maybe it's somebody listening on the radio right now. They're just like, man, that's how I feel. And they don't have to feel that way. Like, why? Why do we think things always have to go the way we want them to go? Why isn't that we can't be open to what you're doing on the earth, Lord, to find out what you're doing and then go be a part of it? And, and I see your hand in our fellowship, Lord. I see your hand uh, upon us. I see the wisdom of the men and women that I get to serve with. I saw hundreds of people. Ser- I mean, it's obvious. So now, Lord, what's next? What's next? Give us hearts to reach and to serve and to pay the personal cost, to pay the personal price to follow you, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.